0: Hi, I'm June Sarpong and welcome to Championing Women's Voices, the podcast from NatWest, sharing stories of incredible women and their work. In this series, I'm speaking to guests from all walks of life, business, sport, entertainment and activism to discuss strategies for success, whatever that means, and to learn how we can inspire and support one another. In today's world, having a business with a conscience is important. And profit-led businesses are making the way for more and more social enterprises. So how can social enterprise and purpose help grow a female-led business? Today, I have two guests with me who can answer that question. They feature in Nat West's Wise 100 list, a list celebrating and bringing together the most inspiring women in social enterprise. And they are Andrea Gamson, the CEO and founder of Social Starters, an organisation that matches UK-based business professionals with social entrepreneurs who need business support. Hi, Andrea. Hello, good morning. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. And Rachel Wang, the co-founder of the video production company Chocolate Films, who use their profits to support an outreach and workshop programme. Hi. Hello. Hello. Glad to see you. Great to see you as well. Very excited to be here. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, Andrew, I'll start with you. So, you spent 15 years developing and launching projects for some of the largest brands and charities in the world. So, how do you go from that into running Social Starters?
1: Mm, Yeah. I often say, always say that it took me 12 years to transition my career from the one that I initially started and got very embedded into to what I do now and I do what I do now to save people that pain and time, um, particularly if they're keen to do something with impact. Mm. Um, I suppose there's four phases to transitioning a career and, Mm -hmm. and maybe I'll use those as launch pads for telling you my story. Number one is the catalyst. So usually there's some sort of moment, a big moment that happens in your life that's potentially tragic or particularly powerful or painful. Yeah, in my case, there's a few of those, actually, as we go through my 20s. I'm thinking of the catalogue of my memories. But one of them was the catalyst that led me to leave my media career behind. And that was that I was working at an organisation in 2008 when the news crews turned around and put the spotlight on us and I was working for the organisation who were were known as the people behind the phone hacking scandal. And So for me, working in newspaper journalism at the time, it forced me to have a real think about my career and where it was headed and it made me realise that Actually, I wasn't necessarily creating the purpose that I wanted to in the world. And, um, you know, you go from making a lot of money for an already very wealthy organisation to then going to, you know, not making a lot of money, for very <laughs> not, not very wealthy organisations. Um, and, you know, the pain around that, I think, was... Letting go of my identity as somebody that worked in mainstream high-profile media. Yes. And trying to figure out who I am now that I'm working in a pub, pouring pints for predominantly males, (laughs) having left behind a male-dominated world, realising that it's quite hard to try and keep up with men in that environment. That then led me to my next point around, so once you go through the catalyst and then you feel the pain, then it's time to do something different. So for me, the doing something different piece was around putting myself in an environment with people that I would never normally be exposed to. So I went and volunteered for the Newbridge Foundation, who have a befriending scheme for people to uh, work with prisoners. And in this case, I would write letters to prisoners in Brixton Prison. And then I would go and visit them and then support them as they would come through the gate, as it's called. Um, oh, my God. How yeah, long did you do that for? I did that for a couple of years.
0: What did you learn in that process? Oh,
1: I learnt loads. You know, it was a real eye-opener. And a lot of my friends thought I was completely bonkers <laughs> doing that and didn't understand why I would want to do that. You know, and at the end of the day, people do think of prisoners or people that have a conviction in a very binary way, don't they? Mm. You're, you're a bad person if you've got a criminal yeah, record yeah, and that's that. No gray area, yeah, there's no grey area. No grey areas. Yeah, I knew differently. I had a family friend who I'd known my entire life who was a good person, but they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And they went to prison, and so they should have, and mm-hmm. they paid the price for that mistake, right? But I knew that person, yeah. and I didn't see that person as a, a bad person.
0: And you knew, do you know who Brian Stevenson is? No. Well, you must read his book, so he's got a book called Just Mercy. And what's phenomenal about him is what he says is that often what we do with people that are in the criminal justice system, is we judge them by the worst mistake they've ever made as opposed to the entirety of who they are as an individual. And what you had was that 360 lens on this family member because you knew who they were in full as opposed to just the thing that they had done.
1: Exactly. And I knew how difficult it was for them when they came out of prison, the stigma attached to it, trying to find a new life and rebuild their life. And so I felt like, well, maybe there's something I can do in a small little way that might make a difference to maybe just one person, even if it's like a little seed of a thought that gets planted or even just... They enjoy the Watsits and the can of Fanta when we have the meeting, you know, which I get from the vending machine, which I think was probably the real reason why they were meeting me, if I'm honest. And, so, and then the final piece, once you've done something different, is the collision. So this is where your passion, your purpose, you know, the skills that you have, and the commercials around how you can make money perhaps doing those things they all, all collide and intersect yeah. and come together, right? And so for me, that was when I was able to open the door to a youth organisation, equally in Brixton, and had this amazing magazine where the young people would come in and they would go out and probably interview you, June, Mm. and lots of other people like Dizzy Rascal and those urban celebrities who were coming through at the time in the 2000s um, when grime was starting to reach its early pinnacle. lost their public funding and they needed to find a way to be commercially sustainable. So this is then the theme that has followed me throughout my career in social enterprise.
0: I'm going to come back to you so we can feed into that. And I'm going to bring you into this conversation, Rachel. Let's start with your journey as well. So you didn't take a typical route into filmmaking. Uh, You actually studied law, worked in corporate finance before setting up or co-founding Chocolate Films. How does that happen? (laughs) Um...
2: I'm interested in so many things and I think that I finally found my place 18 years ago uh, when I set up Chocolate Films to be a producer and a filmmaker, because in that respect, you can be interested in everything. And actually, it was a barrier as well, because if you are interested in everything, then it's hard for other people to help you in the particular industry. So I really wanted to get into the media industry. And I was working in corporate finance and I'd just done law. I suppose that mix was actually something really hard for people to understand. Well, why should you want to go into media? You know? And offering your services for free doesn't work even if you are sort of, you've got sort of the 2-1, <laughs> you've got your masters, it just doesn't, well, it didn't work for me, unfortunately. No. So But actually, it was fortunate because it made me realise that I, had I to do yourself. had to do it. Yeah. Exactly. I suppose I've always been entrepreneurial, but mm. I didn't realise, I didn't even know what that meant to be mm. honest and so we set up chocolate films in order to make films because that's what I really wanted to do with my partner Um Mark And what Curry. type of films do you make? So we make short form video content mm-hmm. uh, we make documentaries we actually make uh, long form video as well so a few years ago we made a feature documentary about five Afro hair salons going through to a competition and that was in 2008 and now we're doing um, this incredible project called The Woman in trial, basically about TXA and postpartum hemorrhage. It's quite heavy. Wow. Um, but We went to Nigeria, we went to Japan, we were in Pakistan, and it's a, a film that investigates a very cheap drug that should be available to developing countries, yeah. but um, unfortunately isn't. So, wow. um, and everything in between. So we make films for museums and galleries, all sorts. Amazing. <laughs> and then
0: you use the profits from the business to actually create workshops for vulnerable
2: adults. Can you explain that part of it as well. Yeah, of course. So we are a social enterprise. So I set up chocolate films really as a social enterprise. And that's because I was really passionate about creative learning and giving back. You know, I didn't get the opportunity. And I felt as though I had all the attributes, and so that led me to realise that it was important to actually give back to various communities and disadvantaged young people um, so that they could be creative too. And now it's very exciting in this digital climate that we're in that for next to nothing, everyone can be creative. And be a filmmaker. um, And be a filmmaker, absolutely. And have you
0: found that some of these vulnerable adults or vulnerable young adults have actually then gone into the industry as well as a result of
2: your workshop definitely and i think that's wow. the incredible so you've created impact a talent by that. absolutely and wow. i think that that's you know we see over 3000 young people and vulnerable adults every year and recently we did something for the mayor's office uh, called LDN filmmakers and for that project we saw 60 teenagers that were Between the age of 15 to 25, and we trained them in filmmaking skills. But I mean this is what we do quite often. But it enabled them to learn scripting, production, directing, um, using the camera, the edit, and then having their film showcased in big cinemas. And that was a really incredible experience for them in order to inspire them that they mm. could actually do it, to empower people, really. And, and that's amazing. what Chocolate Films is really all about. Wow, it sounds fantastic.
0: So, Andrew, I want to hear from you in terms of how you actually pair your experts uh, with businesses.
1: Yeah, so just rewinding a little bit, just to mm. complete the last piece of the story. Mm. Um, social Starters came about when I was on my own journey through social entrepreneurship and, starting to really understand the challenges young people were facing around the time. It was 2010, you know, the new government, coalition government came in and public funding services were cut cut. really badly. And university fees obviously hiked massively. So young people were starting to, at least the ones I was exposed to, perhaps a slight bias because these were amazing young people doing incredible things, but they were creating their own jobs and creating their own businesses and taking action in their communities. And that really inspired me to want to understand more about how enterprise can play a role in... Mm -hmm. Young mm-hmm. people solving problems in their communities, and so again, perhaps slightly randomly, I went to Kenya to try and understand how young people were doing that there. Because I figured if you can learn entrepreneurship in you know some of the tougher climates, then you can do it anywhere. Yeah, and it was there when I realised that my skill set—so harking back to you know my media and sales and business development skills—when they could make a massive difference, then so could they for anybody else around mm. the world, right? And so I suppose socioeconomically and the mindset people are in at the time, people are coming a bit disillusioned in their jobs and wanting to create change in their lives and in others' lives. And so we created this model where individual professionals can come to us to learn then about this new way to do business, which is social enterprise and learn not just from us and go through a training program, but also learn from being sat alongside social entrepreneurs. entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so do they pay for
0: this service? And they pay for that service. Okay. Right? So this is
1: the commercial side of what we do. The social enterprise pays us a nominal fee for the, you know, a fraction of the cost of the time of the person so the that they get. But the corporate pays
0: you. But the
1: corporate or the individual, depending on where the money comes from. So we run mentoring schemes with corporates. We run individual B2C-type mm-hmm. offerings, which is a consulting program. And then we reinvest those profits into the work that we do back in developing nations.
0: So that's brilliant. And so let's talk logistics, both of you. How do you actually go about setting up a social enterprise? For anyone listening that's thinking, you know what, I want to do this.
2: Well, I'd say anyone can set up a social enterprise and it's very simple. Um, Do you have a special business category for it? Um, is, so it is it like a can. B Corp or no? No, I think you can be a limited company okay. or limited hmm. by guarantee. There's various structures legally and you can still be a social enterprise. So that doesn't limit you in the slightest. But I would definitely suggest to go to Social Enterprise UK or the Social Enterprise Mark because they give free advice and support mm-hmm. as to how to set up a social enterprise. So but the, there say?
1: are some key characteristics and behaviours of a social enterprise, and this is what makes them stand out from a traditional business. Mm. I'd say, first of all, there's the mindset of why you're doing it. So you're not primarily doing it to make a profit. You're right. doing it to solve this social or environmental yes. problem in the first place. So that's, the first your bit, that's your that driver. That gets you out of bed in the morning. Yeah,
0: Unlike <laughs> standard business, which is about a I want to make profit,
1: yeah. right? So if you think about that as profit is the bottom line, and social entrepreneurs are Purpose looking at the Triple oh bottom line. Okay. Yeah, the triple bottom line is where you're looking at profit and social and environmental yeah. generally speaking right yep. and, and bigger businesses are getting on board with this now as well so that's really exciting but the traditional behaviours of a social enterprise are that they reinvest the majority of their profits back into this mission mm. um, so that's 51% or above mm-hmm. so if you take examples like Baloo Water they give 100% of their profits to WaterAid mm-hmm. Aid. Ale give 100% of their profits to a partner charity as well but it's not just about giving your profits to charity in a lot of cases they're reinvesting the back into the young people that you're yeah. working with like you um, mm. yourself whatever the particular issue that you're trying to solve is okay but then there are a few other things that get bit into legal jargon around you know locking your assets mm. so that they go back to the community if you were to fold okay. and so on and so forth so right. that's that's we can get quite technical okay. with it
0: and those are the things that you consider for a social enterprise that you wouldn't for a standard business
1: no, but there's a grey area of businesses who are doing social good, or they're ethical businesses, or they have an eco product that they're selling. Yeah, they may not necessarily be able to guarantee they're reinvesting their profits, or they can't guarantee an asset lock and these things which social investors will look for. But they're but, mission but they're driven. Doing good, they're mission driven. Yeah. Absolutely,
0: I get it. Okay, so what I'd like to know is from both of you what do you think the benefits are you've you've explained what the
2: main differences are between a social enterprise and a standard business but what are the benefits personally i'd say that it's important to have a social purpose so that's what i believe mm-hmm. personally you've only got one life so you've actually got to be kind and give back to the community yeah. i mean if essentially that's how you feel and i think so many people coming out of university, actually consider that. You know, we've got an environmental crisis. We've got so many different issues and challenges. But if you actually work for a business that decides and wants to and feels passionate about giving back to the community or the environment, then I think that that makes everyone feel better when they go home at night. (laughs) What would you say to that, Andrea?
1: There's something about being values aligned. So it does come back to who you are as a core person, right? But if your values are around being good or kind or giving back or making the world a better place, then when you work in that space, given that we are in a pivotal moment in our history, right, the history books are going to have the time that we're living right now very yes, much firmly in it. Yes, really true, are. True. Yeah. So when you are then doing something that is somehow helping shape the future in a positive way mm. then yeah you like you get out of bed in the morning you go to sleep at night feeling good about what you're yeah. doing and like you are connected to the earth mm-hmm. and the people in it in a much more profound way than when yeah. you're just going the rat race doing the do you know waking yeah. up going to bed sleep repeat and all of yeah. that so.
0: it's, yeah it's meaningful yeah so what's the standout moment for you in the
1: time that you've been running your business Oof. Um, so many moments. Um, One will do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, because it's relevant. Uh, a few months ago, I did win Women's Champion Award at the Wise One Hundred, oh, uh, which is why I'm here today. So you actually won. I won. Congratulations! Um, I won a very, very amazing prize. And um, what was the prize? Oh well, I mean, the, the award was the prize, mm. right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. I never really won anything before, That's so, so for me, I, w- I was so shocked. I didn't even know what to say when I was stood on that stage and I was just thinking to myself how am I here and I, all this um, imposter syndrome clicked <laughs> in yeah. absolutely but that was a really great moment it builds your confidence it makes you feel like it's, okay, a, it's worth it this is yeah. this means something people are taking notice yeah. and let's keep on going even though sometimes it gets really hard mm-hmm.
0: right I love it and what about you Rachel standout moment there are so over the past 18 years yeah, actually can so we many. just have a minute
2: for that <laughs> that you've actually been running this business for 18 years I know we're still around. <laughs> (laughs) And we're still growing, so yeah, we're excited about that and we had a bit of a celebration last year when we came of age. Yes. From the point of view of creativity and also community cohesion, I'd say A Thousand Londoners. So A Thousand Londoners is a video portrait of London that we set up five years ago. And the purpose was to basically create a thousand short documentaries about Londoners. It is a snapshot of life and the anecdotes of Londoners. And that was a harebrained scheme like chocolate films that uh, Mark and I set up and but we really believe that it was an important thing to actually enable people to understand one another more online so we have screenings and things but we also have an online so it's a thousandlondoners.com. Did the people themselves get to know each other the ones that were yes. featured? Yes so, um, so we're still doing it okay, June, so yeah. yeah so we're, I think it's 420 Amazing. so we continue yeah. and we're not particularly supported by anyone we just at Chocolate Films we support this project Amazing. Um, and we do this in lots of ways, so we run workshops with young people so that they can make an, a, a Thousand Londoner film, and that gets put onto our site. So Your there's platform, just, yeah. There's distribution and exactly and audience, which is very exciting for young people. But also, we do do screenings where our contributors get to meet one another. So and we have badges. So if you're a Thousand Londoner, which June, it'll be great for you to be. Oh, no. um, to you. You. Oh, yeah, I, I love both of you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and it's great for that. But I mean, I suppose community cohesion and the fact that there's so much diversity in London and we want to really celebrate that Mm -hmm. um, and showcase it. And document it. Absolutely. So I suppose it's already an archive and that's something that was really a real high point. I love it. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank
1: you.
0: So Andrea, your company works remotely. So do you have an office at all? How does this work?
1: We do not have an office. Wow. Yeah, we work through a number of different digital tools that allow us to communicate with each other and feel like we have those water cooler moments and, you know, can gossip and chat like everybody else in an office. video chat
0: all day or whatever.
1: (laughs) It can be quite time-consuming, but, (laughs) yeah, video chat, you know, WhatsApp... Whatever, typing in Slack, that's how we do it. How many of you are there? There's four of us at the moment. Amazing. Uh, One's in Barcelona, but she flits between Barcelona, Berlin and Brazil. So she's living the life. I'm here in London and flip between here and Devon and Sri Lanka. (laughs) And then um, my colleague's down in Cornwall and there's another one in London who's just joined us recently.
0: And then how often do you all get together in person? Four times a year or something? Yeah, it's about
1: that, depending on when we have all reasons to be here. Amazing.
0: Yeah. And what was the purpose for that? Was that because of environmental reasons or just cost-cutting? What was the reason to go down that route?
1: Well, I'm certainly using those reasons now, but at the time it was surely about being lean and mm. spending as little money as possible so yeah. we can reinvest our profits to, what to the work to that do, we do overseas. Yeah, yeah.
0: Brilliant. And you also have monk days. What are they?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so the phenomenal Cat Hoax, who I heard on a podcast on the Tim Ferriss podcast, I think, in 2018, she talked uh, about having these monk days where she just goes completely offline and off-grid almost where she can just completely unwind and and detox. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and get that clarity of thought. Mm. And that inspired me. And so rather than people feeling awkward about having to take a day off because they're not feeling too great, you know, not just physically but mentally. Mentally, And also when you work really hard and you pull long hours, which we all do because we're really passionate, right? Mm, Definitely. you do just need a day sometimes where you go, no, no, world, I'm not participating in yeah. you today. Yeah. And I think we used to call them duvet days, but it was probably because we'd been out on the source the night before. <laughs> um, so now it's a different kind of duvet day. <laughs> um, and it's a monk day, it's a so monk it's a bit day. more spiritual. Yeah. I encourage people to meditate or at least just be still and, um, yeah, just remove themselves from, nice. the, from the hustle.
0: Amazing. So this question is for both of you. So where do you look for inspiration?
2: Rachel, do you want to go first? Oh gosh, well, it's got to be my mum first Aww, and foremost. Yes, Mom. <laughs> nice. um, also, there's an amazing woman that's a, a wonderful friend of mine called Dame Jocelyn Barra, mm-hmm. and she is such an amazing woman. She's in her 90s at the moment. She's the first black woman to have been made a dame. Mm. And she has done so much for diversity and race relations um, over her life. Mm. And the way she chooses to do it, uh, to be an activist is very diplomatic. Mm. And through calm decision making um, and positivity. So she was BBC Governor, she actually instigated the Race Relations Act. She's done so much. And Just through knowing her, I'm very inspired and she's, I suppose, a mentor to me. But yes, I suppose first my mum because she's amazing and came over to England when she was 16 from Jamaica and has done so much in the fashion industry um, and has been an entrepreneur herself. And then definitely Dame Dame Jocelyn. Jocelyn. Yeah those two <laughs> and, and, and where do you look for inspiration
0: it doesn't necessarily need to be a person So yeah, yeah.
1: sure and, and I could reel off some people like my mum too she went to yeah. India when she was 19 in the 60s and volunteered and I, I think that's you know been where a huge you get inspiration it from, from. Yeah, that's it. Um, you know that's a very brave thing to do I think particularly at that time but yeah I get inspiration from being still calm learning not to push it too hard or, or knowing when to pull the plug a bit and let the air out the balloon when I'm feeling that mm. um, Um, But listening to podcasts like this one, being around other amazing people doing Mm -hmm. amazing things who help you realise that anyone can go out there and change their life. Do something incredible, right? Push your own boundaries. There are some steps you may need to take, right? And you may need to get comfortable in some zones and then keep pushing yourself out those zones. And it can take time and it is a process. But, yeah, get out there. That's what I would say, because you'll become inspired like I did when I first started doing those things. Nice. And what challenges are you facing?
2: Oh, wow. It's always a challenge to run a business, but even more of a challenge when you decide for it to be a social enterprise. So balancing that practicality of having to run something that has a commercial viability so that you can pay your team and inspire your team um, and you know, pay the rent and all of those sort of things yeah. is always a challenge. But you know, we've been doing it for 18 years, but there's still, I think it's really important to actually keep that in the back of your mind all the time and yeah. to, to realise that that has to always continue to be a challenge but i think within this environment it's also about being flexible and mm-hmm. understanding that flexibility yeah. and thinking about different business models and how to be able to adapt to different tricky environments yeah. to be honest <laughs> well, that's how you
1: survive 18 years isn't it uh, and for you yeah there's a role in here to play for mentors I think isn't there because when you are moving into a realm in your business where it's growing and it's growing outside of your skill remit yeah. yeah those mentors are phenomenal in helping you see your way through what can be almost like do or die scenarios or at least they feel like that to you but to an experienced person they might just be like that's Charles Blay you mm. know you wait, (laughs) you wait and see what you've got to come. But I think that's a natural challenge and that's why organisations like ours exist so that they can help people troubleshoot yes. their way through those difficult times. Yeah.
0: And what is the social enterprise landscape looking like at the moment? Because obviously you've been going five years and you're yeah. 18.
1: Yeah.
0: It must be completely different now to when you both set up your businesses.
1: I remember in 2010 seeing a video on YouTube by the BBC. This guy said, there are 200 social enterprises <laughs> in, in the <laughs> UK. 200. And they're mm-hmm. all at this event, and now there's, you know, reportedly 100,000 by social wow. enterprise, UK, but DCMS, our Departure for Media, Culture and Sport, think there are 473,000, which I think just goes to show the complex nature of how you categorise what a social enterprise is. But either way, it's a booming sector. And um, it goes to
0: show the audience now expects it. Particularly yeah. young people in that they expect so.
2: profit-led, I mean, purpose-led,
1: Purpose businesses. purpose-led businesses, yeah. Absolutely.
2: I think it's it's a wonderful thing that it's actually fashionable now. You know, I know that sounds maybe glib, but actually the fact that people think it's really cool is just the most incredible thing for all social enterprises because it means that we can tell one another about it, tell other organisations that are more corporate mm. um, and inspire more people to change, uh, to make themselves
1: social enterprises. Yeah, and, and you mentioned B Corp earlier. Are, yeah. right. And they're large firms, global firms, who are B Corps, right? So Danone became yeah. one. Tom and Jerry. To- ben and Jerry's. and Jerry's.
0: No, Ben and, ben and Jerry's.
1: Ben and Jerry. Tom and Jerry's. you
0: <laughs> <laughs> never know. Never know. Yeah, never well, know. Tom and Jerry should have an ice cream. Why not? I know. A mouse nice flavored <laughs> ice
1: cream. Yum. <laughs> um, yeah, Patagonia. Um, there's a whole bunch, right? Mm. And so that's really interesting as a movement. The B Corps movement are doing some really cool things in the business world, right? And that's where we're starting to see social social enterprise and big business come together. come together how wonderful and so the dream for the future i think is that social enterprise doesn't really exist anymore it's just all businesses are good businesses or if it does exist it's probably what charities will become because the charity model is becoming increasingly unsustainable
0: so why do you think it's important to actually define the purpose for
2: a social enterprise, and perhaps just for standard business anyway now? Yeah, sure. I suppose for us, any business that comes to us knows that by coming to us and buying a film off us, Uh they are supporting a workshop, they are supporting disadvantaged young people. Yes. Um, And I think that that is also advantageous for any business that comes to us and thinks, well, actually, I'm paying this money, I'm commissioning chocolate films but guess what they're actually going to do something good with the some of the profit that Mm, they're getting from it Uh, so I I think that there's also the thing of um, I was talking about sort of being flexible and having to change our business model a lot what we're finding is that we're about to uh, launch a new program in in April where businesses will actually be coming to us to have their own workshops so lots of businesses need video content Mm. and so we want to train corporates um, so that how they can do it themselves yeah so how they do it themselves but we also within that it's not just you know here come to Chocolate Films get a professional filmmaker to enable you to make a film they know that by doing that workshop, that they're also offering a totally free workshop to disadvantaged school. And that's something that we're really excited about. Too, Brilliant. As, yeah. as you say, creating that clear message that businesses understand, I think, is something that, unfortunately social enterprises sometimes don't have so mm. it's really not clear exactly how they're giving back yeah. or what they're doing and but so you're that's very what we're trying clear, which to has do. helped your business grow I suppose so we're always trying to reflect on that so that people understand us better and know if they don't understand charities or social enterprises how they can understand what yeah. they're giving back I love it
0: so what do you think about female only networks have they been valuable for you mm. I asked, my, I asked
1: my team at Social Starters this yesterday because I wanted to find out who is in a female only network. Are you um, in one? I am in the Wise 100, which yeah. is a female-only network now. But prior to that, I've generally not necessarily been drawn to them per like se. a girls' club, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but in our world, it's undeniable there are a lot of women that are drawn to it. So it can feel like you were in a female-only club sometimes. But I do quite like men, and I like men's energies. And if you find a man who's into social impact, then you've almost got the dream guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, all networks are valuable. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what what they are or how they're shaped. Mm -hmm. The main thing is to be in one and to get away from, you know, there's great friends that you've got that you grew up with who've got completely different viewpoints to you and different, you know, they do different careers and go and meet people who Mm. are like-minded because they will help you realise that it's totally possible to do all these things that might seem really wacky to everyone else that you really want to do.
2: Yeah, I think they're really important for people that need them and um, so I'm a member of AWITA which is the Association of Women in the Arts and a friend of mine Sigrid Kirk set it up and it's an amazing organisation because I think she set it up realising that in any arts organisation there are lots of women that want to grow and expand and become leaders and maybe they don't have the opportunity to talk about that or understand how to get mentors or support in different ways Yeah, but I agree with you, you know It doesn't necessarily have to be a women's only, but I think that in lots of different areas and industries, it's something that we still need, to be honest. Yeah, we're not there yet. No, unfortunately not.
0: So, final question, and this is a question I ask every guest, but actually, Rachel, you've kind of answered it already. Um, But the question is, who is your champion? If you could pick one person or a story you think of as your champion, What would it be or who would it
1: be? Andrea, I'll go to you first. I might lean back to Kat Hoax, who I mentioned earlier but didn't explain who she is. She's got this brilliant quote that says, you were not your past. And she set up to Five Ventures in the US and has gone on to do amazing things, linking CEOs from top firms to some of America's most notorious prisons and the men who are incarcerated in them. Because if you think about it, there's something very interesting to learn from each other because yeah, they're actually. both leaders in their yeah. respective <laughs> fields um, and have perhaps some very similar traits and skill sets. But, yeah, what she's done is incredible. She's won so many different awards. She's released books. Um, she really champions this idea of fighting for the underdog, and I think we could really learn a lot from her.
2: I was thinking about this. I have mentioned Dame Jocelyn Barrow, my and mum. Your mum. Anyone else? Um, well, I, there's a woman called Wilma Rudolph, um, who oh, I yeah. didn't know anything about, yeah. and I always like to learn, you know, there's so many people that can inspire us. She was an African-American... Tennis player, was she? Track star. So track was, star, yeah, yeah, she was a runner, and yeah. she had... Scarlet fever, she had pneumonia and a whooping cough and measles. She had infantile paralysis. Uh, she God. needed to have a leg brace until she was nine years old. She won three Olympic gold yeah. medals, wow. and she was known as the fastest woman on earth. So, the fastest woman on earth—that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, that just inspires me to kind of yeah. run, do, yeah. act. you know, You're things like, like that. That's, you can overcome that's amazing. Any- Thing, That's when you listen to a story like hers. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you both so much for coming on the show today. And thank you for the wonderful work you're doing. It's so needed. And I wish you all the best. Thank it's you. fantastic. Thanks, June. Pleasure. We are out of time. Uh, but if you want to find out more about how NatWest supports female-led businesses, all you need to do is search NatWest Women in Business online.
1: Goodbye.